This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. Today, we're starting a new monthly series on the show called Humans of Healthcare. And the series is aimed at uncovering potential healthcare careers for young graduates by featuring different professionals in the various fields of medical as well as allied health. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, one particular group of specialists was thrust into the limelight for the very important role that they play especially during a health crisis, and these were the public health specialists. And though usually they are less visible compared to other medical professionals, public health specialists have always been the unsung heroes in the wider picture of population health, using their knowledge and research to understand disease trends, study the socioeconomic determinants of health or influence health policy decisions. So with me on the show today is Dr. Faisal Izwan Mustafa, Deputy Director for Non-Communicable Diseases at the Ministry of Health Malaysia. And he'll be sharing with us how to become a public health specialist. Why would he encourage this career choice for young people today and what it means to serve in the Ministry of Health? Hi, Dr. Faisal. Thank you for being my first human of healthcare on this series. How are you? Um, I'm good. Thank you very much, Shawek, for the opportunity. Perhaps we can start with that very basic understanding. What exactly is the field of public health? I think to put it simply, uh, we can consider public health as the signs of protecting and also improving uh, the health of the population, individuals, families and their communities. And when we talk about public health, uh, we need to think about the whole continuum of care. And when I say the whole continuum, I mean from beginning from the health promotion, health education, uh, disease prevention, early detection. There are also components of public health, even in the clinical management of, um, of people. And then subsequently, thinking about rehabilitation and palliative care, and we can talk about that a bit more later on. So in that sense, it's so much broader than the typical and perhaps rather narrow view we have of um, health and medicine, which tends to be when you're sick and you go and see a doctor. Um, the field of public health looks at the time before you get sick, hopefully trying to prevent you from getting sick, and uh, what happens to you after you recover, right? Right, and also talking about how we can bring treatment closer to you where you live. Uh, one of the challenges which we're going to talk about that we face right now in terms of public health challenge is an aging population. So an aging population does come with its own set of challenges, and one of it is ensuring that care can be delivered closer to home, closer to where the patients live. And this is also in the field of public health. So as I have demonstrated, public health is by itself is a huge um, field. Do you start out training as a medical doctor first, Dr. Faisal? So when we talk about public health in Malaysia, it is quite unique. So let's talk about Malaysia first. So to be recognised, uh, to be um as a public health specialist in Malaysia, yes, you do need to have a medical degree, uh, which is followed by a structured training 
And for mm -hmm. us in Malaysia, it is what we call a one plus three. That means one year MPH master's followed immediately by a three years DRPH program. Um, so that is what's called one plus three. Mm -hmm. And this will enable you to be uh, gazetted um, as a public health specialist in Malaysia. Uh, things are a bit different. Um, we talk about um, other countries. So you started off um, with a medical degree, but what inspired you to turn into public health? Um, I was working in Sabah at that point in time, quite early in my career, and it was working in a health clinic. Um, it just transpired to me, uh, made me realize when I was sitting in the consultation room, I have very limited ability to help my patients. Um, there are a lot of things that's happening in a patient's life, which is beyond what I can do in that clinic. And I have also had the opportunity to meet several practicing public health specialists at that point in time. So that sort of uh, veered me towards, um, well, you can consider me a bit of an idealist uh, in a way. Um, I think I like to help people in a more, and I think I can do it better outside of the um, consultation room. So so what were the kinds of issues that your patients were facing that you were not able to help them because you are just sitting in a consultation room? What what were are those broader issues that affect their ability to manage their health? Firstly, their level of health literacy, uh, which is linked to their living environment. That means their level of education, um, their living environment. That's another factor. Um, their food environment, uh, not just the kind of food that they are able to have at their own homes and the other broader determinants, as it were. Um, and this is, is more so for people living with chronic diseases or like um, diabetes or hypertension. You know, as a doctor, I can prescribe, I can advise, but beyond that, um, there's nothing much that I can influence in terms of um, the ability of the patients to take care of themselves with their diseases. So we've talked about what you can do within the field and sort of um, what would be the areas that you'd be able to impact. But on a day-to-day -day basis, what does being a public health specialist look like? What's the scope of your work, especially where you sit in the Ministry of Health at that federal, you know, sort of policymaking level? All right. So um, firstly, I did mention that public health is very broad. So the scope of your work, it depends very much on this particular area that you work in and also where you work. As you have rightly pointed out, I am working at the ministry and within the ministry, I work at the disease control division and the main role and responsibility of disease control division is policy, program development and strategic planning. So there's a lot more of situational analysis, strategic planning kind of work where I sit. I do not deal so much with implementation uh, because that's a responsibility of my colleagues. Probably have colleagues who work at the district level and also at the state level. But despite that, we do have um, my colleagues who work in the communicable diseases area. They are also, in addition to strategic planning, involved with coordinating of responses um, within the ministry. So let's just go back to where I am. So I work in the NCD space, non-communicable diseases space, which by itself is also broad um, because NCDs encompasses the main NCDs, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, chronic respiratory diseases, and all 
the four main risk factors, tobacco, uh, physical inactivity, uh, unhealthy diet, and unhealthy use of alcohol. So um, you can see it's quite broad. Um, so you do develop your own special interests um, along the way. And mine, um, since the beginning, have mostly been on diabetes and obesity and cardiovascular diseases. So if you could um, help us get a better sense of how your areas of interest intersect with the work that you are you actually do, right? Perhaps you could give some examples of different kinds of initiatives or um, programs that you're involved in. Right. So I first became a public health specialist way back in 2006. Um, being a medical doctor, it started off with something very close to clinical care. So um, initially it was... Um, improving the qual the delivery of quality of care of diabetes patients, particularly at MOH health clinics. Why MOH health clinics? It's because the majority of diabetes patients, 70% of them actually seek treatment in MOH health clinics. And at that point in time, I'm talking about early 2000, there wasn't a mechanism to really monitor quality of care being delivered. Um, just because, you know, just because. And one of my earlier initiatives at that point in time was developing what we call the National um, Diabetes Clinical Audit, which enables the delivery of care to be audited regularly. Um, it was um, a random um, audit. Subsequently, this was followed by a National Quality Assurance Program, QAP program. So what's the difference between an audit and a Q quality assurance program? Audit is just that, audit. Uh, the quality assurance program enables the full cycle to be taken. That means you audit, you identify a problem, you um, you seek for a solution, you implement the solution, then you measure it again to see whether that solution has improved. So there's a full cycle. And before this um, uh, quality assurance program is very limited uh, in terms of uh, for diabetes care. And subsequently, that is followed by the development of the National Diabetes Registry. And this was way back in 2011 uh, when it first uh, came um, online. It was a web-based um, registry. And uh, um, I can be proud um, of the NDR. You know why? Because um, not many countries uh, without an electronic medical record have got a national level diabetes registry. And I've been told by international experts that Malaysia, we've got one of the largest uh, registry uh, for diabetes care um, in the world. So that was what I started off quite early on without realizing, you know, what kind of um, you know, impact it has um, over the years. And over the years, um, I've been working at the ministry. My work have progressed from that more clinical aspect to the more general, more um, overarching national strategic plans for non-communicable diseases. So that's the national level strategic plan. And where I am right now, uh, I am responsible for overseeing all the various uh, national strategic plans and plans of actions uh, relating to NCDs for the country. That means um, developing them. So this provides like the blueprint or the roadmap of how things need to be implemented in the country. Mm. But, you know, if uh, you were still in the consultation room, in a sense, the impact that you can see from your work is you can see whether your patient gets better or not. So with this kind of um, strategic planning that you do, what is the impact that you see? Well, I think even the clinicians are finding it uh, even more challenging. You know why? There are more and more people living with chronic diseases, non-communicable diseases, and there are more and more people, each people. 
um, um, older adults living with chronic conditions. So I would say um, it's not just public health, it's just challenging in the long term. I think even if you're a clinician, uh, you will find your work much more challenging right now. You know, perhaps things were different um, 20 years, 30 years ago. So um, you have to look long term. That's one. And in fact, uh, a lot of my colleagues working in the clinical domain are also contributing their time for public health related work, which I think is very, very important as well, because I don't think we can have enough public health specialists. And uh, this is where uh, everyone has an important role to play. Um, but I would say the main difference is you need the right expert at the right place. And this is where the public health specialists um, have an important role to play, both as a specialist by itself in the field of their interest, but also in guiding and facilitating the work of the other clinicians and also allied health professionals in um, improving uh, the health of the individual patients, their family, and also their community. Mm. But in terms of, I guess, the value of the kind of policymaking and strategic planning that a public health specialist does, how does it translate into impact on individuals in the community at the end of the day? Right. Uh, I think I need to relate this back to what are uh, the public health challenges that we face right now. You know, uh, not only the increasing burden of non-communicable diseases, including mental health, we also face the threat of newly emerging and re-emerging um, communicable diseases. You know, COVID-19 is not going to be the last. Um, TB is still there. Tuberculosis is still there. Um, there are many other, you know, diseases that you will hear in the news from time to time. We also talk, I've also mentioned about the aging population. And, you know, age is the main risk factor for many diseases, unfortunately. And lastly, I'd like to bring up a issue about climate health and planetary health. You know, so these are real threats, whether you like to believe it or not. And this is where the health and the other sectors intersect. So while the clinicians have an important role to play in terms of early detection and also treating people with their diseases, I think it's very important now to realize that more and more people, and this is not unique for Malaysia, um, many countries face the same issues, both developing and developed countries, as many, many people live longer. So we will be facing many more people living with diseases. So the, the public health specialists have an important role to play to find new solutions to how patients can live better quality lives with their diseases. And subsequently, if even if they recover from their diseases, how do we maintain a good quality of life? I think that's a public health um, specialist domain, but also to look at all these various determinants of health and how we can effectively manage them. You talked about the social determinants of health earlier on, uh, shall we? Um, I would like to introduce the term commercial determinants of health. That's a real thing as well, where commercial interests sometimes are at odds with public health, but yet we need them. We need the private sector for economic development because economic development is also important for oh. maintaining good quality of life for the population, right? Yeah. Countries need money to, to, to provide good um, public health facilities. So this is where all these new challenges are. And this is where the public health specialists have a very important role to play if they are working in the right position, I mean, in the right place. I mean, um, to influence policies that is being developed for economic development and to make sure that the public health 
um, considerations are also being taken into account. And it is a balance. Um, there is no easy answer. I think COVID-19 have shown us how saving lives and livelihood is not an easy question to answer. Mm. And uh, they go hand in hand. You can't deal with one without dealing with the other. Um, and speaking of where you work, we will come back from our break to look at, um, you know, Dr. Faisal has alluded to, right? Um, the scope of a public health specialist depends on what area and where you work in as well. He's described uh, what it looks like in the Ministry of Health for him. Uh, I will get him to share some other examples of where a public health specialist could work. Very briefly, what their scope could look like. And uh, go on to talk a little bit about the training pathway as well. Uh, and if you are interested in pursuing it, what would you be studying? Today is the first episode of our new monthly series called Humans of Healthcare and we're featuring a public health specialist. Dr. Faisal Iswan Mustafa, Deputy Director for Non-Communicable Diseases at the Ministry of Health Malaysia. Stay tuned to Health and Living. We'll be right back on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest today, Dr. Faisal Iswan Mustafa, Deputy Director for NCDs at Ministry of Health Malaysia. He's a public health specialist and that's who we're featuring on our new series today called Humans of Healthcare. We'd like to find out more about what a public health specialist does, how to become one, and later on in the show, a few questions that you may have always wanted to find out about being a public health specialist. Um, but in we spent a great deal of time earlier looking at um, the scope of the work of a public health specialist and the integral roles that such a specialist plays in transforming the health of the population um, beyond uh, what you could do perhaps on one-on-one -on -one relationship between a doctor and a patient. Now, um, we looked at what it's like at the um, strategic planning and policy-making level for you in the Ministry of Health, Dr. Faisal. But what are yep. the other... Um, different kinds of jobs that a public health specialist could do, um, you know, beyond that scope. Okay, let's start off with within Ministry itself, because Ministry of Health is also large. Mm. Um, I'll start off with the District Health Office, where a public health um, uh, specialist is usually the District Health um, Officer. That means have overall responsibility for the implementation of public health activities, which will include uh, prevention and control of communicable diseases like dengue, mm. tuberculosis, HIV, and all the preventive activities that come. So, for example, like um, outbreak investigations and um, outbreak containment. Um, they are also responsible for the components for food poisoning, example, um, or any other public health events um, happening at the district. Um, not only are they responsible for the implementation of the programs, but also responsible for coordinating the response and responsible for the uh, on-the-job training as well um, at the um, district health um, level. Then coming up slightly to our public, um, healthcare system will be the uh, state health department. Um, at the state health department, the public health specialists uh, would be divided into different um, areas of responsibility. There will be one responsible for non-communicable diseases. There will be one responsible for occupational environmental health and responsible for tuberculosis, for vector-borne diseases, um, and maternal and child health. Um, so 
when I say responsible, so they are the, the at the level of the state health department, they are a bit unique. They are more of translating the policies that come from the ministry because we are a very centralized system and uh, implementing them within their own setting, within their own resources that they have. So they are in between both um, policy and also implementation. Then you have uh, people like myself at the ministry and we are spread across all the different divisions, not just the public health um, division, but also in the medical development division. That means responsible for the services delivered at the hospitals. We also have colleagues in the research arm of the ministry, uh, what we call under the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. And that is spread across six um, research um, institutes um, within the NIH. Uh, we also have public health colleagues working in hospitals because in the main hospitals, we also have a public health unit and they are responsible uh, for the various public health programs, um, which is implemented within the hospitals. So that's just within MOH, and I'm sure I've missed some. So I do apologize to my colleagues if I've missed any. Then you have those working at the academia, uh, both public universities and the private universities. Usually they are in the medical faculty or in the allied health science faculty. Um, so, I mean, then lecturer research. But what people keep forgetting is that there are also public health specialists working in the private sector. While traditionally they were more in the pharmaceutical industry, but now more and more so, you will see them in either consulting companies um, or research, um, health research-related companies. That's one. And now digital health companies. Um, so the field of public health is rapidly expanding beyond the traditional that I had known when I was doing my training 20 years ago. Um, so there are more and more. And I'm just talking about Malaysia here. Uh, if you look beyond Malaysia, the scope is much wider and the places where you can work um, is much wider as well. Mm. And you spoke about the uh, sort of qualifications that are needed. In Malaysia, you start with a medical degree and then the structured training is a one-year master's and three years um, PhD. Yeah, doctorate level, DRPH, yeah, doctor in public health. Ah, yes, doctor in public health. Um, if you could give us some insights about where people can pursue these qualifications, obviously the medical degrees, I think we are, we are well familiar, but with the master's and the doctor of public health, um, are these available in local universities? Um, would they be limited to that four years um, that you talked about as well? Um, with um, currently, it is. Um, there is, um, and only in the accredited um, universities as well. I mean, um, I can't rattle off the list of universities sure. often. If you were to be gazetted, that means uh, recognized um, as a clinical specialist. Uh, this is important in Malaysia because all clinical specialists, including public health, have to be registered in the National Specialist Registry, what we call the NSR. Mm. But things are different if you were... Uh, working overseas, for example, you know, um, I didn't mention about working in international organization like the World Health Organization, for example, or World Bank, or UNICEF. So um, that, although you you they have public health specialists there, but the qualifications um, are not so much tighter in terms of requirement compared to um, being recognised as a public health specialist in Malaysia. Mm. Are our local um, national universities um, offering these courses as well? Yes, um, the, the, the main universities, they do. University of Malaya, UKM, UPM. 
USM, um, Sabah Sarawak, uh, Unimas, and also UMS. Oh, yeah, and the latest edition, UITM as well. Right. What do you study um, in the course to become a public health specialist? Right. So just just as a disclaimer, I was trained 20 years ago. Um, okay. Um, that's quite a bit of time. So things have progressed and evolved over time. However, some topics remain the same because these form the basis of public health. So what I mean, uh, topics, epidemiology of diseases, biostatistics, health economics, health management, maternal and child health, occupational health, environmental health, these things are, are still there. Um, they have formed the basis. However, um, public health has evolved beyond the more traditional definition. Nowadays, I talk about a lot about behavior science, about behavior economics, the nudge theory, for example. I just mentioned about digital health and all the new terms that are coming out right now, show it right? AI, big data, and all of that. Um, that is public health um, if you look at because it just extends the way we can do biostatistics and epidemiology basically and do health promotion more effectively so there are more and more tools more and more knowledge which is not covered in the basic public health training mm. somebody may think statistics epidemiology that's not the kind of stuff that I enjoy um, you know but how has it how has this knowledge proven really indispensable for a public health specialist I don't know I mean it, it's still mathematics I mean I used to love mathematics so when I was in school and it is problem solving yeah, but I've heard I've heard so many people saying statistics is maybe the driest and most difficult subject to get through. I don't know. There's a lot of people doing AI and big data analysis. That is basically so much more advanced statistics than what I've learned during my time. So um, computer programming, I'm sure there are maths there. Uh, it is, it is, it is, it is there. Um, it is, I, I, I mean, I had a look. Uh, it is beyond my training. Um, the new, you know, this new analysis that people are doing post statistics. And I think that's what I find challenging about public health. It continues to evolve. Um, people, you know, in more established um, specialties, you follow the path of others. You know, you see this very successful clinician in their field of interest and, you know, I want to be that person. Whereas in public health, even now, you still have the ability to say, I want to be the person that other people want to follow. Right. And you chart the path because it is a path not well trodden. And um, that what would be one of the appeals for me, um, in addition to be an idealist, uh, I would say um, I like to do things which other people don't do. Have you seen attitudes towards your discipline change as well? I would say it has. But then again, it depends very much on what field of public health you're talking about. Uh, within public health, so um, I wouldn't use the word subspecialty. It's just that there are many areas. Um, COVID-19 have shown more respect towards my colleagues doing communicable diseases, as it were, and the importance of their involvement um, in policy, in strategic planning, and also in implementation. Um, but by and large, we are working more in the background, as it were. Uh, my colleagues working in the academia are getting a more and more recognition of their uh, contribution to the overall big picture of health, especially in the field of the determinants of health. And in the private sector, I think people are more appreciative of the input 
of the perspective of health uh, in terms of creating solutions um, um, relating to um, digital solutions. I mean, during the pandemic, um, we started to hear more about the importance of uh, your district health officers in terms of contact tracing, right? And managing uh, the cases uh, that, that were within the community. So that is uh, one increasing recognition, isn't it, of the roles that they play? It is, but it also, um, for me, highlights the importance of us in public health evolving because the digital health tools that was developed during COVID-19 um, was developed by engineers, as it were, by scientists. Um, but without the good input of um, public health, so the scientists can also be public health, or, you know, I think nowadays you can't be the master of all, mm. right? The way knowledge is evolving. So you need to work as a group. Um, so it is important that, groups of people working on solutions to find good people and you need a good public health specialist and a good digital health expert, for example, and a good big data analyst. And um, there are many ways um, for us to uh, to work together to finding a public health solution. Mm. What have been some highlights or memorable moments in your career, perhaps beyond uh, or apart from some of the examples of the initiatives that you have worked on? Anything else that comes to mind? Well, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is being able to train and guide my juniors. Um, I know it's not related really to work, but it is one of the few things that I find gives me a lot of pleasure uh, because there, are a lot, there isn't that many people who are interested in the public health field. So being able to train and to guide and to uh, not influence, but to motivate. Um, and inspire um, juniors um, in whatever area within public health. That's one. Um, the other thing would be uh, being in a position um, to work directly with uh, health ministers. That's quite an interesting um, experience as well. Um, uh, being able to you know to look into their minds to see how the how the I mean how their thought processes are. Um, we may or may not like the health ministers and I've worked across various, um, I mean, several of them. Mm -hmm. But it's always for me interesting to have an insight about their consideration as well, um, being a politician and also being a health minister. Um, so that um, the other highlights for me, although I've not been directly involved with the work, um, would be the COVID-19 itself. I think that's, um, I have, provided a lot of experience for us and a lot of learning points. And I would say more recently, the Tobacco Control Act um, just shows you that, you know, that one act will have an impact of reducing the number of deaths and, and conditions of many, many Malaysians. And yet, um, public health and politics are closely interlinked. Um, so that proves to be another challenge. And I like told you, I like challenges. So. And speaking of uh, sort of mentoring and guiding younger um, professionals in this pathway as well, do we have enough public health specialists working across the different sectors in Malaysia? Uh, and are we investing enough in training more? I think in general, uh, we need to look at how we are delivering training. Um, that's one. Uh, that's uh, my first key point. And when I say training, even at medical school. Um, the challenges that the doctors face right now is very much different. And the environment that they have to work in is very much different from 
my time, for example. Um, I've described to you all the various public health challenges. Um, I have not even described the, the different and also higher expectation of the population and also the patients with regards to their healthcare providers. So that's a whole set of soft skills. So I think in addition to some of the more technical skills required for public health specialists and allied health professionals in general, I think the investment in the soft skills as well is something that needs to be looked at. And a lot of my mentoring and training is more on the soft skills, actually. I mean, you can read about technical stuff. Um, I, but I think the experience I have accumulated over time, how do you manage your bosses? How do you manage your um, technical committees? How do you prepare to ensure that your working proposal paper have the highest chance of being approved? So these are things that you can't find in textbook. And these are the sort of skills that um, are transferable, actually. It doesn't really matter where you work. You still have bosses. You still have committees to, 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 to go through uh, that can be used uh, regardless of um, what area of your interest within public health. So that's the one. And the other thing, um, the way we learn is also different, I think very much. Um, I've just asked my adult child, well, I say adult, he's in her early 20s. Um, they don't Google information anymore. They look at it on TikTok or on, um, it's a oh different goodness. world altogether for me. You know, how can you find information on TikTok? Because I'm not even on TikTok, but apparently that's where you find information now. And maybe in five, 10 years time, things will be completely different altogether from what I know, right? So if so, when you ask me about what we need to do in terms of training, it has to be continuous. That's one. And has to be relevant to now, um, not relevant to my time when I was doing MPH and DRPH, um, that kind of thing. Um, so not only is the field rapidly evolving, I think training in general have to um, evolve rapidly as well. All right. Now we'll take uh, one last break. And uh, this is the first episode of our monthly series called Humans of Healthcare. And the human that we're featuring today is a public health specialist, Dr. Faisal Iswan Mustafa, Deputy Director for NCD at Ministry of Health Malaysia. When we come back, questions you've always wanted to ask a public health specialist. Stay tuned. Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. It's the first episode of our new monthly series, Humans of Healthcare. Today, we're featuring a public health specialist from the Ministry of Health, Dr. Faisal Iswan Mustafa, Deputy Director for NCDs. We've talked about um, what he does in his scope of work, uh, why public health specialists are important, how do you become one? And now, our final 10 minutes with a public health specialist, questions you've always wanted to ask one. And here are some burning questions that we compiled. Is public health a lucrative career, Dr. Faisal? Do you make as much money as a doctor would? <laughs> oh, that's an easy answer. Oh, well, a doctor. I am a doctor. <laughs> so the answer is no. But let me qualify that. I think if you choose a career in medicine and health, then your main objective shouldn't be money. Um, that's the idealist in me. Both, I think, health and education um, is public goods. And um, I think you, they are important and we need good doctors and other healthcare professionals. And we also, we need good teachers as well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this is where, uh, yeah, so it's not lucrative. Um, but, uh, but you shouldn't be entering the profession looking yeah. for uh, looking for that salary. Um, next question. What should one do after uh, pursuing those qualifications that you mentioned earlier, the Master's and the Doctor of Public Health? Um, uh, is there a certain job experience or even perhaps volunteer work that might be helpful? Um, definitely. Um, for example, to join the um, MPHDR Pre-H program, it is very competitive within the ministry. Um, there is a selection process which consists of a theory exam. So you do need to study a bit before taking the exam. And there is also a interview component, uh, which carries almost the same weightage as your exam. And during the interview, you need to show evidence of working in the public health domain. So either your work experience uh, relates to public health. So it doesn't have to be working in a health clinic. You could also be working in a hospital, but involved with the um, public health unit, also doing a lot of public health activities. And also you um, also show um, your um, experience involved with um, civil society or NGOs um, relating to public health work. But that will be entering the program offered in Malaysia. So what if someone asked me, working with WHO or international organization, for example, and I have guided several individuals of my juniors doing that. I think um, this is very important for you to make up your mind quite early in your career, even after finishing um, your medical degree. Um, you know why? Because international organizations are very competitive. That's one. And in their application, they need to have, you need to show evidence that you are involved with global public health work. And that is a bit more challenging, can be done, but that means you need to plan quite early on how do you be involved with um, global public health work. And um, there are ways, and I, like I said, I have guided some of my juniors um, doing that as well. And a couple of them are already with WHO. Um, final question, as a public health specialist, do you actually still see patients? You could, if you wanted to. Um, so. At the ministry, you, it is a full-time job. You could do it part-time after office hours. Nothing's stopping you. Um, I did enjoy it. I, I stopped doing it, I think, about five, six years ago. It's just that the workload was just too high for me and I just needed to relax, uh, really. Uh, but yeah, I still find working um, in clinics enjoyable. But, you know, any doctors out there, I can tell you, every time they see family or friends, you can't run away from being a doctor. Everyone's a free consultation from you. So <laughs> That's absolutely right. So those were the questions you've always wanted to ask a public health specialist. But to wrap up our conversation today, Dr. Faisal, any words of wisdom, uh, you know, in terms of encouraging people today uh, to pursue this career? I think reflecting um, myself, specifically working in public health and in the government, uh, I know I am in a position to make so much difference um, in the health of the population where I am right now. And that inspires me and that motivates me. But it is a road um, less travel. And, you know, it is different. It is difficult being different. So uh, my favorite quote um, has always been, do not go where the path may lead, you know, go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. So I hope that I will be able to inspire the next generation of public health specialists um, to go beyond what I've done. And leave a trail. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Faisal. I've been speaking to Dr. Faisal Iswan Mustafa, Deputy Director for Non-Communicable Diseases at Ministry of Health Malaysia for our Humans of Healthcare series. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.